Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Laura Goodman, Associate Professor and Extension Specialist for Rangeland Ecology at Oklahoma State. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you. It's been a couple of years. We talked about goats last time. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. So since it's been a little while, why don't you give the listeners kind of a little bit of your background and how you came to OSU? Sure, sure. So um, I'm originally from Minnesota. Um, but I did my bachelor's in range and agronomy in Texas, in West Texas, um, and then went on to work on some ranches and do some other things for a couple years and then went back to school um, and studied range ecology at New Mexico State and uh, did my, my master's and my PhD there. And I worked on grazing behavior and um, controlling toxic plants and some other things in uh, uh, central New Mexico and northeast New Mexico. And so been here since 2015 and worked on lots of different projects since we've been here, um, working on our virtual fence project now, um, the prairie project, working on controlling woody plants um, with patch burn grazing, prescribed fire, and multi-species grazing with goats, and just worked on rangelands, you know, working on rangelands usually we're, we're dealing with grazing management. We're dealing with invasive species. Um, in Oklahoma, prescribed fire is a, you know, a big management technique that we use a lot. And so a little bit of all of those things. Lots and lots of stuff. Yeah. And you answer calls all day long from the 77 counties of Oklahoma and the extension offices. What's this plant? Or yes. what's this stocking rate? And, and all those types of things. So Laura is an excellent resource for all of us. I don't know how she, how you do it all. I love it. That's, <laughs> That's great. That's really cool. What invasive species, remind me, what invasive species did you cover in New Mexico? What specifically? Didn't you focus on one? I Yeah. So I was working at, so I was working on loco weed. So it's okay. a, uh, it's a native species, but it's toxic, right? Okay. Um, it has an alkaloid in it um, called swainsonine. And especially when you're grazing stalkers uh, starting early in the spring, they can start to graze on that before many of our warm season grasses really start growing. And so we were using, we were comparing sheep grazing to um, herbicide treatments for controlling it. And okay. so, um, you know, using sheep to graze out the loco weed prior to putting uh, yearlings out on, on rangeland pasture for the summer. Um, and they worked great. They did a great job and we what we did, it's so, that plant's also toxic to sheep, but they can handle a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit higher level, and then we were grazing them on and off of areas that had it, and that actually helped to keep them kind of below the threshold that would mm-hmm. start to cause, you know, issues for them. And so, and we were drawing blood on these sheep and keeping track of everything oh, cool. to make sure that they were okay. And um, anyway, yeah, they did a great job. They were they were similarly effective to herbicide in in killing the plant, which we weren't expecting, um, but but they did a good job. That's cool. And you did it, I think, around that northern New Mexico area. Well, yeah. well yeah, it was up by Clayton. Kind okay, of, by Clayton. Yeah. Because yeah. I, Moines yeah, and, and oh, yeah, Des Moines. Yeah. yeah. I remember driving through there as I go to South Fork, um, yeah. Colorado, and that sort of thing. But that's such a cool area. Yeah. One of the ranches was right. So a couple of them were right by the Capitan Volcano there. Okay. So if you've driven past that, yeah. that's where, yeah, a couple of the ranches I worked on were there. And then we put wildlife cameras on those areas that we had grazed with the sheep to track what other animals came onto those areas after we pulled the sheep off. And it was really interesting because those 
those areas that we had grazed with sheep were uh, kind of focal grazing spots for pronghorn and elk and mule deer and all sorts of animals afterwards. So yeah, it was a cool project. That's interesting. Similar to what happens with patch burn. Patch burn. Yeah. Right. Yep. So sort of. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. And uh, you know, I think the thing that we sometimes don't think about when we're using herbicide for controlling toxic plants, depending on what the toxin the plant has, um, sometimes they're still toxic even when they're dead. So right. even if you killed it with the herbicide, you know, it's less likely that an animal is going to eat it once it's dead. But there's a certain period of time right after you've sprayed it where the plant is dying, where it actually is um increases palatability for a short period. I've heard that before. Yeah. So, you know, most of the herbicide labels, it says it on there. You know, if if you're spraying this on a toxic plant, it can increase palatability, be careful when grazing, blah, blah, blah. So we just have to be thinking about that when we're choosing the control mechanism that we're going to use for controlling toxic plants in particular, because, um, you know, sometimes, especially if we're, if it's an area that we're haying or something and that's going to be incorporated into that hay, you know, mm-hmm. you'd not... It's not always a guarantee that you've eliminated the problem. Right. So yeah. anyway. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I don't think you ever told me that before. So <laughs> that's a good little summary of yeah. your of your trial. Okay. So let's talk about um, kind of Western Oklahoma mm-hmm. experiencing a severe drought. Yeah. Um, really, the whole state has been in pretty dry conditions for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um but Eastern Oklahoma seems to have gotten quite a few rains recently. So mm-hmm. why don't you give us kind of just a synopsis of, kind of what you're seeing yeah. on rangeland um, that has experienced drought and what's going on across the state? Yeah. So, you know, last summer, most of the most of the pastures that I was looking at had grown, you know, somewhere between 50 and 75 percent of their normal productivity for um, native pastures. And. Um, you know, the further west you got, the kind of the lower that number that number was. We we got some some growth, but very pretty minimal. You know, for for our summer. And so, what we're dealing with in most parts of the state, a lot a lot of people, you know, destocked, bought hay, have dramatically reduced their numbers. But we're still seeing some pastures that have been grazed pretty hard. And, you know, now we're trying to think of ways to to hold on to those animals because it looks like they're going to be worth quite a bit in the future. You know, the the long term projection for for drought is is looking like eastern Oklahoma is going to be okay. It's going to be back to kind of normal. But there's a huge swath of western Oklahoma that they're saying will maybe not be back to normal um, until this winter and so we're supposed to be going to an el nino year here but it it's going to take a little bit longer for the western side of the state and so we're projecting that it's going to again be kind of dry so our our pastures our grasses are um our grace pretty short at this point right a lot yeah a lot a lot Yeah. yeah unfortunately our native plant populations are adapted to drier conditions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. historically, this is a dry area. Yeah. Drier area. Yeah. So in, in Oklahoma, the kind of the three things that have always happened to our native plants is drought, grazing, and fire. Those three things, they're all fairly well adapted to and were, you know, that was regularly happening all over the state, those three things. The problem happens when we have 
you know, drought for an extended period and we have heavy grazing combined with that, it can make those plants take a little bit longer to come back afterwards. You know, they they didn't necessarily die, but that doesn't mean that they they always grew back really quickly and grew back to the same um, productivity that they would have without the drought um, and mm-hmm. without heavy grazing during that drought. So, you know, when we graze sustainably, kind of matching to the productivity of those plants, we can expect that we'll actually get more growth during the drought and we'll have quicker recovery after the drought. When we graze harder during drought um, or take a little bit longer to adjust those stocking rates, that's when our grasses um, will grow even less than, say, our neighbors that maybe made those decisions a little bit earlier or those adjustments a little bit earlier. We'll grow less during the drought and we'll take longer to recover following that drought. And so that's just what happens um, with these grasses. They just they take a little bit to come back. They need those resources uh, to to be able to regrow all that leaf material. They've got all these carbohydrates in the base of the plant and we can start to diminish those when they're when we're, you know, grazing them hard. Yeah. So from the biology of the plant, it's like Mm -hmm. you're saying, like, I think of this plants, you know, say a clump of Indian grass. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. Okay. So this clump of Indian grass, you graze it normally one year, you have normal, normal kind of rainfall. And then we go through the next year where we keep our stocking rate the same Mm -hmm. and we're grazing that, but we don't have as much rain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, when it's, when it's drier and when we're still clipping that plant as normal, Mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, we're reducing the top part Mm -hmm. of the plant, which that's where it gets sunlight. Yep. Kind of that's where it takes in its nutrients, right? Yeah. And then, so that's why the bottom part. So tell us a little bit about the biology of kind of what happens. Yeah. So, so the leaves are the engine, right? So Mm -hmm. they're, they're converting sunlight into carbohydrates for the plant. When a grass is repeatedly grazed hard, um, especially when this is happening in conjunction with drought, um, that plant is going to have a certain amount of um, root die off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our grasses, you know, they're kind of like an iceberg. Most of the biomass is actually below ground versus above ground. Now, these are pretty productive grasses that we luckily grow in this state, but whenever they're grazed hard, they um, they you have a certain amount of root die off and so they're trying to put resources into those roots right because the roots are what's helping them to capture moisture and um, nutrients in the soil and everything and so they have to put resources into growing those roots and when they do that they're they're um, they've got to pull resources from other things right there's only a certain amount of resources available particularly during the drought. So so then it's going to take them a little while to regrow roots it's, and then they're you know then they're going to put resources towards leaves and so they're just strapped for providing resources everywhere they need them. And so that's why it can take that um, a delay in regrowth after drought. If we've grazed them hard going into drought, they have a smaller root system than if they haven't been grazed hard. So they aren't even able to capture as much moisture as a plant that hasn't been grazed hard. Right. And so when I'm talking about being grazed hard, you know, we we try to leave half of the plant weight attached to that plant every year. So we just try to leave leave, you know, 50% of the weight of that plant 
alone. Um, and so, you know, that's over the course of the year. So we might go in there and graze it and we're grazing a portion of the plant early. Then we've moved animals out. We come back in, we're going to graze it again. But the the amount that's taken over the course of that whole year, we try to keep it, we try to leave half of it there. When we're grazing them hard, you know, a lot of times our eye maybe gets trained to how we could graze a a wheat field or a Bermuda grass pasture. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is our native grasses cannot handle that type of grazing. They just, they can't handle, you know, a, a Bermuda grass can be grazed to three or four inch height. Our native grasses can't handle that, um, you know, unless it's like a buffalo grass right. that doesn't grow right. very Right, that's not very tall anyway. <laughs> exactly. But most of them can't handle that. And so when we do that to them, it's really difficult for them to grow back. Let me take a step back. We talk about this normal stocking rate. We have questions in extension offices. Mm-hmm. What's the normal stocking rate of Garfield County? Or what's the normal stocking rate here? Well, mm-hmm. to me, there's not really a normal stocking rate because yeah. every year it's going to change. And yes. so we'll have, we'll just have, you know, go into our conversation here yeah. um, in a minute on how we can evaluate kind of our forage production for the mm-hmm. year. But what are some things that producers might see mm-hmm this year after they've grazed their native grass to look like a golf course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause that, that's the reality in some areas. Yeah. What are some things you'll visually see? Will mm-hmm. it be weeds? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of plants that people are going to be emailing pictures in of, um, or, you know, are going in or bringing into extension offices or I've got this plant I've not seen before. And that happens, especially so we when especially once we come out of the drought and we start getting normal rainfall, there's all this open space that's now been <laughs> provided in these pastures for, um, you know, kind of weedier type plants, plants that grow easily from seed. Um, lots of annual plants that just grow for one year, establish quickly from seed, and they'll fill in those spaces, right? And so um, the spaces between our grasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll get a lot of plants that, you know, maybe people haven't noticed before or, um, yeah, and they'll, they'll, they'll fill in in those gaps and lots lots of, uh, of grasses and broadleaf plants that, that maybe wouldn't have been able to grow there as easily if the grasses, you know, were were not grazed quite as hard or right. not had had the drought. Right. You know. So I think some producers thought is, oh, my gosh, I've got to spray this. We've got to use mm-hmm. a herbicide mm-hmm. to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, mm-hmm. if we adjust stocking rate, give those pastures a rest, I mean, will those pastures kind of recover and come out of that weed type of situation or are the weeds there to stay? Yeah. So many, many times if we, if we back off on our, our stocking rate, allow those grasses to recover those, the grasses will take care of the issue, right? When they mm-hmm. grow back and they're, they're able to fill back in all these, almost all of our grasses are rhizomatous, which they have below ground runners that help them to spread. It's when we've kind of suppressed them for a while that they, that there's all this open space. And in, in, in areas that have sandier soils, we just have a little bit more space between plants in general. But yeah, typically, you know, it's not really worth the money to to spray every broadleaf plant, you know, you have in your pasture. And those those plants are, are providing cover for that soil mm-hmm. um, as we start to get that rain um, back, mm-hmm. back out there. Um, and so if you were going to <laughs> pick the plant group that you kind of get the best um, bang for your buck 
using a herbicide on that would be the the woody plants that we have that grow in our pastures that are um many of them are re-sprouters so if we like went in there and cut them if we you know just cut them at the ground level we're not gonna we're not gonna control those plants they'll grow back and so um those would be the ones that you would get more out of controlling versus the broadleaf plants the broadleaf plants are just a um or just a band-aid to cover that soil right. eventually the grasses will fill back in um and i'm not saying that that's never the option there's some cases where you want to control plants especially ones that you know you can have that are toxic and stuff but um usually it's not going to grow you any more grass okay you know the reality of yeah. it is here in oklahoma where we're on the drier side of things you don't get a huge bump in productivity in a native pasture system mm -hmm from spraying broadleaf plants. Right. And some of the broadleafs aren't necessarily bad. I mean, in our native pastures, we have a lot of like yeah. legumes and stuff. Maybe broadleaf mm -hmm. isn't a correct term, Laura, as for some of those good plants that we yeah. have out there. Yeah. So we have, so there's, you know, the, the thing about our native pastures is they're innately diverse. They always have a lot of different species growing in them, but that's actually gives them value because, um, there's a lot of those plants that are actually really good forage plants and our animals do eat them. We just don't always notice it. Mm -hmm. um, and those broadleaf plants are typically higher quality than most of our grasses are. So we've got to be thinking about that. They're eating those at different times of the year um, and they're providing good forage. So we don't know, we don't want to kill all those and they're, they're providing other things too for us. So mm -hmm. other than cattle, they're also, um, you know, important for our quail population, right? Everybody's always asking about why don't we have any quail? Well, we, we have to provide the habitat that they need and they need some shrubs to be able to hide in. They need broadleaf plants that are growing seeds and attracting bugs that right. their chicks eat and all those things. And, and our pollinators are using those plants. All, all sorts of things are relying on those. Mm -hmm. So, so many interesting things. So we have a cool tool. Uh-huh that that we that you discussed in a variety of our meetings across northwest oklahoma this spring um it's called the rangeland analysis platform we're going to refer to it as rap because that's yeah. easier right <laughs> so and listeners it's it's the rap we're going to yeah. talk about it. um and it's really cool just as the name sounds um but tell us a little bit about this tool it's new yeah. right yeah. yeah so it's been around just a couple years now and the initially it was developed just for land cover so it's, it's based off the Google Earth Engine, and um, they developed it just to be able to look at the different cover types that we have in a pasture. So the plant, plant groups that grow. And so um, you could look and see, well, what's happening with tree cover? What's happening with shrub cover? Um, how much bare ground is there in my pasture? And then the other... It has perennial grasses and broadleaf plants are lumped together. So those would be the many of our forage species. So plants that live for more than one year. And then we have the annual grasses and, and broadleaf cover, forb cover. I Initially, it was developed to be able to say, what is happening in my pasture? Is my pasture changing through time? Are shrubs increasing? Are trees increasing? Am I getting more bare ground? What's happening in response to the management that I'm doing in my pasture? And then just recently, they, they added a, a tool with a production estimator. So it gives an estimate of productivity for those um, perennial and annual plants. So it'll give us an estimate basically of forage production for our mm -hmm. pastures. And that's a really 
really excellent tool because, you know, in the past, really all we've had is estimates from the web soil survey if we didn't have the, the, the time or the labor to go out and actually clip in our pastures. And so this is giving us an estimate of production um, over like what's the annual production. And then also it, it updates every 16 days. So we can get an idea of what we're how we're tracking with normal productivity. So, you know, earlier in the year, we can see if we're fitting to the, the productivity that's at 50% or 75% or normal production, mm-hmm. or it, maybe we're above, maybe we're getting good rain that year and we're at 125 or 150% of production. The, that information can help us to figure out how to match our stocking rate to the productivity within this year and not have to guess at what we should be stocking our pastures, how we should be stocking our pastures, how many animals to add or take away. Mm-hmm. And so that's better than what, you know, anything we've really had in the uh, past. It's such a valuable tool. I like yeah. from my standpoint, I've used it quite often. I used to use the web soil survey more, but it just takes a lot of time. Yeah. But now I this is this seems to be a little easier. Um and then, you know, the web soil survey, it, it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. The, the problem that web soil survey has is it's not giving you anything for the current year. Right. And and the difference is that the RAP is using satellite imagery, and that's why it's giving an estimate every six day, 16 days. Mm-hmm. So it's using um, information that it's collecting from those satellite, uh, as the satellite passes over, from the imagery that it captures, it's giving an estimate of, okay, well, we know when we're getting these signals from the imagery. This is about how much productivity that we that we typically get. And so that's something that we just didn't have with Web Soil Survey because it was just kind of, this is what the long-term 30-year average for productivity is on this soil. Right, soil type. And mm-hmm. and to be honest, like some pieces of property, like that someone would come in and ask me about the piece of property, could yeah. have seven different soil types on oh, it. Yeah. So then you have to divide those out. And yeah. It was probably pretty accurate, like once we got it done, but it yeah. just wasn't as it was a little clumpier. Yeah. Um, but so this also takes like there's other like entities that are helping mm-hmm. with the wrap, right? Yeah. Um, what did we say? The BLM. Yeah. Bureau, Bureau of Land Management, National Parks mm-hmm. Service, which I don't know what they're providing, but it's probably pretty cool stuff. <laughs> uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service. So NRCS. Yeah. So all like it's a, it's a, not just the satellites in our sky. It's mm-hmm. just like they're taking a lot of moisture data and lots mm-hmm. of things. Right. Yeah. So the so Bureau of Land Management and the NRCS, um, Natural Resource Conservation Service, have been collecting productivity data for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So there's the, um, so they have information for how much was produced in these different areas. And we know what the, the precipitation numbers were for those time periods in those sp- specific areas. So they can make these models. So they can say, when we get, when we get this kind of information out of the, uh, on the imagery, we have a model that says, these are the kind of things that we're picking up when we um, when um, we're producing this much. So mm-hmm. it's validated with with field data, and so that gives you some some estimates to be going off of. So that's how they're mm-hmm. giving the, these these estimates. And and actually now in the in the um, production estimator, there's also an it'll also show the number that is 
from the web soil survey for right. the area. So you can actually even look and see yeah. how is how different is our is this estimate from the web soil survey estimate for production and stuff. And so that's if, cool. If that's something that you're more comfortable with or more familiar with, you can always look at that number in the wrap as well. So I had a pulled an example. Um Example out of northern Dewey County, so this is northwest Oklahoma. Okay, 148 acres of native grass. So mm-hmm. I think it's native. I mean, it, it most of our grasslands out there are, are mm-hmm. that. But I, I'm able to go on and just like disseminate this, which is cool. Yeah, you can go and do your own or you know whatever. But I use this as an example. I don't know what producer's place this is, so <laughs> <laughs> just full disclosure. But spot. you know, it was I was able to look last year and see the forage production mm-hmm. estimation, um, and it was just over 2,000 pounds of forage per. Mm -hmm. okay and then um of course this year i can't see really much this year because we're early yeah we're very early so that that is one thing but it it, this is a value because you can look historically Mm -hmm. and then so it has a long-term production since 2001 and it that long-term production was just under 2500 pounds an Mm -hmm. acre so that was kind of cool to see well yes we did have less rain and and it was impacted almost 500 pounds an acre so i just thought that was quite interesting that you can look at long term yep and and look at last year if you know kind of what last year was and just such a valuable tool to use and so you know listeners i'll have the link to that Mm -hmm. um in in the show notes so that people can use that it's really um it's cool um and it's 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 different um kind of website thing rangelands.app yeah right yeah so it's a so it's a you know it's called an app but it's a it's a web-based app yes you don't have to download it not on your phone or anything like that no No, there's no no download you can just go to the web page and then start clicking through things and so so i'm assuming so you 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 outlined a pasture yeah that's what i did yeah i just just outlined it and yep and then it gives you an estimate and so it's it's so useful. So you could you could outline outline your whole property, or you could outline specific pastures. You can yeah. save those shapes, and so then you don't have to re-outline them if you don't right. want to. Right, and you can make sure if you know how many acres that is, then yeah. you can see maybe well, this is supposed to be 152 acres or something. Well, my square wasn't exactly you yeah. know right. Yeah, but it is. I just thought that was kind of cool. In extension, we do help people look mm-hmm. at kind of stocking rates and stuff, and so this helps. You can also go in there and say, well, my cows are, I have small cows. Say you yeah. have, you know. Corrientes or something like that. Yeah. You can say that they're like 900 pound cows versus yeah. 1300 pound cows, which mm-hmm. honestly, most of our cows are 1300 pounds, people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can say that. You can say what stage of production and yeah. it'll give you a stocking rate and yeah. it's really, really handy. Yeah. And it'll show you how that stocking rate would be adjusted historically. Yeah. And if you, if you decided I'm going to graze them in there for six months. Right. You can put the time. You can put the how length, how long you want to graze them. If you were going to say, oh, I changed my mind. I'm going to graze them for four months. Then it'll, then you'll get a different number of mm-hmm. cows. And, or if you decided, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm keeping weaned calves or I'm right. going to, I've got the, I've got these heifers I'm developing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can change the size, change the amount right. of time and it'll just give you the number of animals. It's, it's really super cool. useful. And the other thing, you know, if you can look back, it'll give you what the number of animals um, it would have carried in different years. So, like, if you wanted to look back at 2011 and see, okay, well, how many cows would have carried? You know, if you're if you're kind of feeling like this is this reminds me of this year or mm-hmm. something, you can kind of look back and see, well, how many cows would have said I could have carried in in whatever year, you know? And then um, it gives you that idea. And then 
the the other thing I was mentioning earlier is it gives you there's a, a curve on there that shows like what the cumulative forage production is and it'll fit it to these lines that are 50 75 100 percent of normal and so you can kind of figure out where you're at going forward i'm hoping that our numbers will be 75 or you know yeah. closer to 100 percent of fingers normal. crossed yeah. yeah but it'll give you that idea and so you can make those stocking rate decisions earlier in the year and maybe you Maybe you can sell animals when um, they're worth a little bit more rather than waiting and holding on to them and selling them later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an excellent conversation. I oh, think good. that we'll have to talk about it again. Um, I know our extension educators are just learning about this tool. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're trying to kind of getting everybody on, on the ball with it. But people can reach out to your extension office, your area livestock specialist, your agronomist, and most of us kind of know what it is. Mm -hmm. and, and so we can help you maybe mm -hmm. do some evaluation on stocking rate because yeah. I think that's going to be so important this yeah. summer. Yep. Yep. And it will probably always give you a number lower than you think. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's going to. It's going yeah. to. You're going to be surprised. But that is what it takes to maintain well, the health of our rangelands, right? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things that have happened that, you know, the numbers that we maybe thought were right in the past, we've got we've got larger animals, right? larger cows. We do. We have a lot more trees growing in our pastures mm. that are decreasing our production. And so there's a lot of things that may be contributing to that. And so just keep that in mind that we we've got to keep that all in perspective. And, you know, you can you can just look at the at the at the cover of of different, you know, look at and see if your shrub cover, or your tree cover has increased as well in the in the in the tool that the regular range and analysis mm -hmm. platform, because that could that could be what's decreasing because it is taking into account those areas that are are covered up in cedar trees or whatever, right. whatever the trees that are growing. You know, there's a lot of different ones that we have that are trying to take over our pastures. It's taking that into account. And when we say that our production is 2,500 pounds per acre and that's what Web Soil Survey told me, well, the Web Soil Survey is assuming that you have no, no, no tree cover. Yeah. So just something to think about yeah. if that number is surprising to you there might be other things going on there. right and you have total control over the tree cover like you can you can take care of that issue we can't hold, hold that thought Laura. okay okay i'll leave it <laughs> we'll hold that thought because we're going to talk about that in the next segment okay okay so Great. listeners keep that in mind we're going to talk about this cedar tree issue coming up <laughs> but i hope you've enjoyed this segment all of the links including the links to the um rangelands app for the wrap um will be in the um, show notes and I hope you enjoyed the segment thank you Laura for yes, joining us no we problem. will be back soon with Laura to talk about cedar trees but um, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week 